This is the TRT Community Podcast, where we discuss all things testosterone. I'm Brandon, founder of the TRT Community and host of All Things Testosterone. The TRT Community is a Facebook group of patients helping patients navigate the struggles associated with testosterone replacement therapy. We have educational resources at testosteronepodcast.com, including TRT-related clinical studies and a doctor search tool. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Do you know who Ian is? He used to podcast with me. He hasn't been around. He, oh, yeah. yeah. So he's a best friend of mine. And anytime, he, as soon as he comes over, he's like, so let's talk about this. And let's talk about that. How's your life? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hold on, man. We got to hit record and, and talk, you know, <laughs> capture this. Um, but the pop-up camper, I've done that. And, you know, they've got the, the snaps where the, yeah, yeah. it's like snaps down to the side. My brother has like rolled out of bed onto the, the grass, <laughs> you know, when there's oh, so much. And yeah, we, I've, I've done some of that when I was younger. Um, my, so when I met Kayla, um, we decided to get married. Her parents lived outside of Dallas about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. And um, they had this big house. And I was like, well, what if what if we buy this from you and you downsize like you're talking about wanting to do? And they're like, okay, deal. We'll give you a great price on the house if you buy us this camper trailer to live in. I was like, yeah, sure. So I bought it. I think it was like you know, four or $5,000 from a buddy of his. Pretty nice for that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Here's a camper. Thanks for the great deal on the house. And they lived in it for like, I don't know, maybe a month and a half. And they were like, yeah, it's a little too small for us. So we're going to buy this bigger one. We're going to give this one to Kayla's sister. And they're going to give you their old one. So we got one for free, essentially. And a house plus an RV. Yeah. And <laughs> and I, cool. I never, it was never on my list of things to buy. But yeah. when it was given to us free, I was like, well, we could sell it. But that that might seem kind of rude, you know, because yeah. they're doing it because they want family camping trips. So we decided to keep it and, and use it, and we used the hell out of that thing. And we, I mean, we took it out that first year, we took it out probably like eight or ten times. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And uh, just, you know, state parks and stuff and glamping, I guess. And then uh, had a blowout, and those things, this was an older one, and they're built so terribly. Like, it's, it's just plywood. Yeah. And, and aluminum frames sometimes that are like one little tack weld holding them together. Because <laughs> they're uh, so heavy. Yeah. And um, had a blowout, and it ended up totaling it. Mm. So we were like, okay, we really like this. Let's spend some money and, and buy a serious one. But if we do, anytime we travel within like 10 hours of our house, we have to take the – it's an investment, you know. Like I don't want to pay for flights and hotels. So we do. If we're within eight – 10 hours of the house, we're taking the fifth wheel, um, and then we're staying at state parks. And it's it's like 20 bucks a night to yeah, stay yeah. at a state park. So That's why, yeah, when I growing up, um, I grew up in Connecticut, New England. Really? Yes, born and raised in Connecticut. Huh. So when we had a camper, we'd take camping trips um, with my father and, and family, would be to Florida. <laughs> and of course, during spring break, which or not spring break, a uh, summer break. Yeah. Uh, so it's the hottest time of the year, anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> How long is that drive? Um, three days. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you could do it within a day and a half, but you know, because of my mother and you know, us, my sister and I being kids, being tired, bored, and all that. That my father would, you know, kind of take the time a little bit and, uh, uh, you know, take breaks or we'd stop off at a hotel for the night or something. So, or, or, you know, a campground, whatever the case was, set up for the night. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, otherwise, um, you know. And, and I remember the growing up, my younger years, the first times was all, you know, tents, and there were no restrooms or bathrooms, so yeah. it was literally just a toilet seat with a plastic bag attached underneath the bottom of it and go out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> we did that once as a family, um, tents, and it, it was fun. And it was the first time I had camped, second time I had camped as an adult, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But once we got that RV, it was like game changer. You well, know? yeah, because it, it's just more convenient, less work, but it's also more comfortable than laying on the ground. Yeah. Did y'all do beach and stuff whenever you go to Florida? Uh, well, yeah. But yeah, we'd go to, um, I think one time, you know, going to Disney, staying at, like, state parks and stuff. So, But, yeah, it would be like, uh, you know, doing at least one of the theme parks, um, you know, as a family. And But, of course, like I said, being in the middle of summer, you know, like this time of year, standing around outside for, like, eight hours all day, <laughs> walking around a park. Yeah. Just, to, you know, drenched in sweat. Yeah. So it, was, it was rough. Have you, I'm guessing you haven't looked at Disney prices recently have you um the last time i did it was just ridiculous yeah so like 200 bucks a person yeah and they the problem that i have is that they have you know 75 different parks now and you have to buy admission you know you can buy combo passes or whatever yeah, but yeah. you have to essentially buy tickets for each park well then you can't you can't do more than one park in a day if you want to actually see most of the things yeah so you have to buy you know and, and anyway so it ends up being if you wanted to do like Five day Disney vacation. It's like a thousand dollars per person just for the, the entry tickets. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, where you're staying, how you're getting there, all that stuff. Food, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I wanted to do it. We were supposed to go on um, on a trip with uh, some in laws, and they canceled. So then I was like, well, do we still take this tropical vacation, just me and you, or do we include the kids? And you know, we decided to include the kids. So I looked into Disney recently, and it was like. No way. I'm not. I've heard that that's why the Disney cruise is actually real popular. Really? Because you get a lot of, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get on like roller coasters and stuff, but they do have like rides and stuff for kids. But there's a lot more um, fun stuff that they do on the cruises. And then you're talking for like the entire week, you know, um, five to 800 bucks, I think, per person. And all the food's included. Yeah. You know, I, I've realized that I'm just like super, super cheap when it comes to vacations i'm i'm kind of frugal in life yeah. but specifically travel i'm like no way i'm not spending that money so i looked at cruises during covid and you could take a cruise during covid for like 80 bucks for oh, five I days it was ridiculous during that time. <laughs> yeah and i was traveling yeah i looked again just within the last month thinking yeah we'll just all go on a cruise no i mean they're they're, they're back up i, I so I say I'm frugal to just kind of set the stage. I know I'm complaining about, but they're like $300 a person for, you know, four or five days, which yeah. still isn't bad. It's still pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just so cheap that I'm like, but I could have had it for 80 bucks a year ago. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's one of those, it's you snooze, you lose. It's got to go with the, with the economy you know, yeah. what's going on in the world. But even then, you know, 300 bucks is, is pretty cheap, um, you know, for five days per person. And it's a lot of stuff is included. Yeah. Um, you know what I what I liked about it is just you don't have to worry about the food. You're not paying extra; it's all yeah, included. That's true. You can get room service for food any time of day. They have their buffets, so you're not paying any extra for food. But if you get alcohol, then you do. <laughs> a guy like you, though, that stays in shape, that works out, 
when you go on a cruise or when you're in a situation like that, do you do you just cheat the whole week or do you find a way to um, fit your macros in? I try to make good choices with what's available. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, if you're going out for breakfast, um, you know, any place you go, you're going to have pancakes and, you know, bacon and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, of course, I'll just make the, the better choice that I can with what they have. So yeah. if they have uh, omelets and fruit or, you know, something like that, a little bit more healthy, I'll try to lean more toward that. And maybe I'll have, like, a biscuit with gravy or, and you know, one pancake. But I try to eat the healthy stuff first, and if I got room for anything else, then I'll have a little bit of a treat. Yeah. So, But that's just the way I try to approach it. So I don't, you know, drive myself crazy because I'm also trying to enjoy myself. Yeah. So, um, but again, it's just, you know, the lesser of two evils in a way, right. wherever you go. Those are some of the things I try to instill in my kids. I'm not, I'm not the epitome of fitness by any means, but, um, you know, I think the world, I mean, we know it's getting worse and worse, right? Diet, exercise, obesity, that kind of thing. And our kids aren't super educated. So um, just the little things like I... I hate cereal for for kids. Like, yeah. I love to eat it, but I don't like that it's a thing. It, I call it dessert cereal or dessert breakfast, you know? Cinnamon Toast Crunch, that is not breakfast. That is a sweet <laughs> dessert. So I try to at least say, okay, yeah, you can have some of the cereal, but eat the, the turkey sausage or, you know, sausage for eat the protein first and then see where you're at because those kids, they'll just go wild on several bowls of uh, yeah, so the whole food industry just from the 1950s, I believe it was, um, is when the whole concept of eating healthy, quote, changed. Um, prior to that, everybody was like eggs, bacon, sausage, biscuits for, for breakfast. Yeah. Um, then President Eisenhower had a heart attack, and then that's when um, Ansel Keys, a doctor at the time and researcher, had uh, believed that seeing cholesterol in animal models that it resembled fat uh, in food, saturated fat, believed that it was the fat in the food that would cause plaque buildup or cholesterol in the the, uh, the blood vessels. And so they uh, he did what was called the seven um, country study, uh, basically hand picking or cherry picking out of previous research that was done over. 20 different countries um, comparing diets and um, cardiovascular disease and other illness and found that these particular seven countries matched his model. So that's what, uh, and uh, back then he was considered even by friends, quote, to be somewhat of a bully in the industry and uh, forcing his belief on other people. So believing that fat was the culprit of cardiovascular disease, then we adopted that low-fat lifestyle. And ever since then, we've had uh, not only an epidemic of becoming larger as a population and obesity, but diabetes and insulin, or uh, diabetes, insulin resistance, cardiovascular disease, syndrome X, has uh, exponentially gone up. And the healthcare system is swamped and flooded and overwhelmed because of it. So... And um, food manufacturers just produce what the what the people want, what they're asking for, what they're told that they should have. Yeah. So that's all they're doing is just responding, <clears throat> even though that they may know that research 
supports otherwise, but they're out to make a profit. It's yeah. not about your health. It's about making money. So um, the information now, because of technology and the connections that we have through social media, YouTube, and so forth, there's lots of documentaries um, that are available that you can you know, stream online um, going into the history of it and that a lot of uh, research was basically buried because it went against the, um, the mission, you know, the mainstream at the time. Um, so, um, so that's really where we have the problem and it's a lack of education. So one that I, I tell a lot of people is, um, there was one called, I believe it's that, that sugar documentary, something like that. It's about this guy over in the UK that, uh, ate pretty healthy, pretty well balanced diet between protein, carbohydrates, fats, healthy fats, and lean meats and so forth. Um, similar to, uh, supersize me. Mm-hmm. You know, change his diet for two months. And basically his model or concept was to consume more sugar in his diet, but getting it through normal food. But that's marketed to be healthy. So because it was marketed as low fat, yeah, you know, considered heart healthy. Um, and so that would include cereals because it's low fat, um, fruit juices and different drinks, yogurts, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know, low-fat yogurt, uh, low-fat milk, and, and so forth. And anyway, so they concluded by the end of 60 days that he uh, his calor- total calorie consumption was about the same between the diet. It was just that the modified diet, now most of his calories were coming from carbohydrates and sugars, Total calorie content being the same, just that where the calorie was coming from was different. He gained almost 20 pounds of fat in two months. Wow. And all his health markers were compromised as a result, going to doctors every couple of weeks and checking up, and they could see the documented changes that were occurring. Yeah. Similar to supersize me. Hmm. Um, and it, uh, afterwards, you know, um, he discussed that it took probably three or four months to reverse the damage that he'd done in just two yeah. months. So, and it was almost like a detox. And even his fiance at the time said that how his personality drastically changed to almost manic. You know, he'd be happy one minute, moody the next, you know, constantly have these ups and downs, yeah. his, uh, energy and mood and all kind of things. And um, so sugar does have like a, an addictive quality to it and literally changes brain chemistry. And you can look it up. There's images online of um, images of the human brain, a normal human brain, uh, and then one compared to with someone that uh, uh, consumed cocaine and the, the different areas of the brain that light up, and then someone that consumed sugar. <laughs> and it actually lights up the same areas in the brain as cocaine does. Yeah. So, wow. Um, so that in itself, uh, and then you get into all the different uh, deep dive into how sugar affects metabolism in the body, uh, can cause mitochondrial dysfunction, which is something that we'll get into. Yeah. Well. So um, there's a, a lot of health ramifications from uh, excess carbohydrates. I just, I don't, I think there's a couple of different issues. One, it feels to me like, you know, when they're doing the studies in the 50s, like like a lot of, you know, we just adopted that as as being accurate, right? Yeah. So any change that, that we, we, I say we, that we try to make 
after that point, I just feel like isn't taken that seriously by enough people. Fitness guys, health guys like you, you do your research and you know what's what, but the layman out in Paducah, Kentucky, they don't know except, you know, they've seen the food, py- the food pyramid when they were in elementary school and, yeah. and they have no idea. And and I base some of this on my kids, my kids, my, my younger kids, especially, but really all of them, uh, they, they don't have any idea what a carb is, what fat is that, what, you know, dad's just a jerk because he's making us eat the sausage before we eat our dessert cereal um, they don't. They don't get it. They're not learning it in school. So I think that's like two of the the things. Like they're not teaching it in school the way that. I mean, I was taught the food pyramid, but at least yeah. I was taught something. Yeah, and, and that's also because the schools are government funded, and the problem is, is those that the funds, the food that is given to the schools are by the food companies. Yeah. To supply the kids with food. Now, while it's great that they're supplying food for hungry kids, you know, because some, you know, lunch programs and stuff uh, support kids or families that are poor. They can't afford it, which is great. That is needed. Um, But it's just the type of food that is given is the cheap processed crap. Yeah. It would be uh, interesting if they had a lesson about chocolate milk and then immediately went to lunch to drink their chocolate milk you know it would, it would be interesting yeah and it's just the, the the lack of education but again the dogma for decades of being told we need to consume more whole grains and, and higher carbohydrates and low fat to be healthy but that whole system has been failing and that's why we have so many people that are overweight and then that's why drugs like semaglutide and terzepatide are so popular. They're, yeah. they're exponentially because they work because they're actually temporarily correcting the metabolic changes that have occurred when people were consuming a different lifestyle. For so yeah. Long. So you people people say that these are groundbreaking, game changing. They're fantastic drugs. Have you personally ever seen anything that that works as well without like the uh, amphetamine type side effects? No, um, and that's what I like about it is because I, I don't like those stimulant-based weight loss products, even caffeine itself. Um, every single animal model that I've researched showed that used a stimulant appetite suppressant, the lifespan of the animal is shortened. Um, really? So, And it has to do with uh, stress hormones because all stimulants will stimulate the production of cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and so forth, and certain medications increase that in the brain. And in the brain, that's okay um, to an extent. You just don't want overexcitement because then there's receptor downgrade in the brain, and that's why certain medications stop working for certain people, and they have to increase the dose because it's the brain's way of protecting itself from neurotoxicity, from being overexcited. Yeah. Um, And uh, so... um, but again, it's that excess excitement that causes damage. And uh, so that's why all those animal models that I've researched showing that they have shorter lives. So something that can assist in weight loss or body fat reduction without overstimulating, um, I think, is um, way more beneficial. Yeah, that that sounds a lot like that Bradley Cooper movie. Um, Limitless? Yeah, yeah, where, you know, once he's on it, it's killing him essentially he can't he can't live without it and yeah it reminds me that's a great movie by the way it was yeah and that's that's kind of how i feel you know i took um uh 
gosh, it just left my mind. What's the the stimulant? Um, Definitely. No, the um, like the super common one, phenamine. Oh yeah, yeah. Weight loss, yeah, yeah, yeah. I took uh, phenamine years ago and would go into work and just you know I'm shaking and I'm moving and I'm playing the air drums and I'm doing all this, but I'm getting tons of work done, hyper focused. Mm-hmm. And then about two or three o'clock, I would crash and I'm like, I got to go to sleep right now or take more of my NZ tea like Bradley Cooper and, <laughs> and then I can get back on it. But then I couldn't sleep at night. So it was, yeah, yeah I, I loved it. And I've always kind of joked that if, if I were into drugs, I would be an upper, I'd be a cocaine guy because I, you know, I like to play the air drums and. Well, a lot of those uh, stimulants will increase uh, dopamine and that's your reward hormone. Yeah. So you feel good. That's also part of why we feel good on testosterone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a, a limit to how much stimulation that occurs. Um, some of those drugs really push those limits. Um, and uh, and that's where you can develop addictive qualities. Um, so myself with my fitness and bodybuilding journey, I started exercising at the age of 15 or 16 years old. I did my first bodybuilding competition at 19 years old. And I was working at a GNC. And back then... So I'm 45 now, so you're talking over 25 years ago. Um, back then, uh, the number one fat-burning product that was on the market was uh, ephedrine or uh, mawang. Is it fenfen? No, no. Uh, f- well, uh, fenfen was a prescription drug. This was over-the-counter supplement. Ah. So if you were to look up um, uh, ephedra, mawang, had, uh, mawang, or was the Chinese herb, whatever, it was an herb that had been used in China for centuries, typically for congestion. Um, I can't remember what else they, they used to use it for in Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, but it uh, uh, contained ephedrine alkaloids, which is in the classification of um, uh, those stimulants, um, you know, like Adderall and all that kind of stuff, and, and phenamine. And so it acted similar. So it would give you that energetic buzz, that high, but also suppress your appetite. And then it would increase your epinephrine, norepinephrine, which are also hormones that release fat from fat cells. Um, So in combination with um, caffeine, you get a little bit more fat oxidation. So, you know, a combination of different stimulants, the caffeine plus that, um, man, you felt amped up, like energy (laughs) all day. What was uh, my first experience was a product called Ripped Fuel by Twin Lab, <laughs> yeah. way back in the day, and because it showed a picture of some dude like you know just his torso, but he was like shredded bodybuilder, and it was very popular. We used to sell that like crazy in work at GNC because it freaking worked. Um, but uh, my first experience with it, like being you know nineteen twenty years old, I think oh man, I'm going to just get ripped. So it said to take two capsules three times a day. But what I didn't read was the full label that it said you need to start off with one capsule twice a day to work up your tolerance to it. So when I bought this big bottle, like 200 pills, um, I popped two capsules at probably like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then a couple hours later popped another two, and then at dinner popped another two. <laughs> that night, and I was in college at the time. That night, I was staring at the ceiling all long. <laughs> I got zero sleep. Um, I was just so wide awake. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me because I didn't know that it was stimulant at the time. Yeah. So I was completely ignorant to what it was, what it did, um, just that it was helping with weight loss. But that's typical of a lot of people is you buy something just based on advertising mm-hmm. without even knowing what it's going to do to you. Yeah. 
Um, and the next day I was in class, and I'll never forget, uh, I remember, because I woke up, um, I was falling asleep in class, literally woke up, I shook myself awake with my arm, with my head resting on my arm because my arm was twitching. <laughs> so, but my nervous system was still stimulated, but I was so tired yeah. that I was still falling asleep, but all my nerves were active. So I was literally, I would, you know, twitch or shake myself awake. Yeah. Um, and I was so scared to take it after that again because of how I felt. It was like weeks. And then, you know, talk with other people on how you should you know, introduce it. And after that, I didn't have a problem. But after a while, I did actually get addicted to it, where literally I couldn't go a day without taking at least a serving of it just to feel normal because I didn't have any energy. And I couldn't focus. And here I'm, you know, working a part-time job. I'm in school. I need to study. So, and I realized I was addicted. So I really just bit the bullet and detox myself just quit cold turkey for two weeks and after two weeks then i just started feeling normal again but it was just like two weeks of just feeling like crap yeah. <laughs> you know until it was gone that's not something you can still buy over the counter right no because the fda banned it um so because it became um oh gosh i'm trying to remember what the name of the product thermal life or thermal trend or i can't remember what it was thermal something but anyway there was a company it was a multi-level marketing company that came out with a weight loss product that took the nation by storm with their advertising and marketing for it. They made other products, but that was their bread and butter. And people just started abusing the crap out of it. And then um, there was some military or uh, professional athletes that were taking it as part of their training because of the energy that they got from it and cognitive function because you're going to get from stimulants. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also, it's going to increase heart rate, blood pressure, and that kind of thing. So they, so uh, some high-profile people, including in military, uh, deaths were associated with the use of it. And so what's funny with the FDA, between over-the-counter supplements and prescription drugs, is a lot of people think that um, supplements are not well-regulated by the FDA. I've worked for supplement companies. They actually are. They have to meet very strict standards, but what supplements do not have to do according to FDA requirements is they uh, do not have to be proven to be effective or work at doing anything. They just have to be safe. Hmm. So meaning they can't hurt you or kill you because if they do, the FDA immediately pulls it up. So there was a couple of deaths associated with the product with Mawang or Ephedra. So it was pulled from the market. However, with drugs or medications, even over the counter, um, there's thousands of people's of deaths have been associated with Tylenol overdose. <laughs> yeah. um, however, Tylenol has never been pulled from the market. Um, and a lot of other drugs, medications that people take under supervised direct, physician-supervised direction, according to directions, that their death may still be associated with the use of drugs or drug combinations. It would happen with Michael Jackson and other high-profile um, celebrities. Um that are prescribed medication, and yet those drugs are never pulled. Mm. So the drugs are they have to be they have to be proven effective for treating an illness or disease or condition, but they don't have to be deemed safe. Yeah, isn't that wild? Is that yeah? That does. I mean, it seems. 
I guess not backwards because you want you want the over the yeah you want the over the counter stuff to be safe too. But yeah, definitely yeah. contradictory. Yeah, so um, that's my thing, and and that's where some people run into the issue with with overdosing and supplements too. Is you know our country, the United States in particular, we just do everything in excess, and we think more is better. Like more money is better, um, and so we think more of anything's better. You know. When it comes to pretty much anything, overdoing it. So supplements, drugs, medications, certain things, um, unless it's, you know, doctor prescribed, you know, because then we only get a limited amount that we're supposed to take. Yeah. So, um, and even then some people abuse it beyond that. The, yeah, there's almost this safety net that a lot of people feel if it comes from a doctor's prescription that they're they're fine, whether that's, you know, opiates or, or and, and it becomes an <laughs> epidemic because yeah. people feel, well, it came from the doctor. Well, my doctor said this. Well, my doctor said inject testosterone once a month. Yeah. Your doctor sucks. Do your own research. Well, that's just it is, is that we, uh, as traditionally, we put a lot of faith into doctors looking out for our best interest because that's what their intent is when they go to school. And I'm sure there, there's, there are lots of great doctors out there. The only problem is that because the bulk of their patient care is cold, flu, heart disease, diabetes, you know, stuff as, as we get older. And a lot of things are mostly going to be contributed to your lifestyle habits. Um, and But uh, a lot of doctors, when they go to school, especially the older ones, from what I understand that the newer ones are getting better educated now um, about certain drugs and health uh, medications, hormones, and things like that. But the older ones, they, they literally only had to take one semester nutrition um you know i went to school for um uh, physical therapy i was trying to get into physical therapy school so i got all my um uh, prerequisites out of the way and part of the prerequisites was nutrition which was one semester and you just basically um you know the nutritional book was a chapter on carbohydrates chapter on proteins fats and then chapters on micronutrients vitamins and minerals um it wasn't complicated or hard, and that was it, you know, um, and not that I was trying to be, you know, a physical therapist can become a doctor of physical therapy. Um, you can get your MD in that, uh, but again, it's not a requirement um, in teaching health and uh, health prevention, you know, yeah. is something that's not taught. So the American healthcare system really is set up to treat uh, when you're broken, mm-hmm. not Before. prevent you from being broken. Yeah. And that's what I compare uh, our bodies as like a car. You just you, you change the tires or rotate tires, change the oil, um, and do your checks and balances the way you're supposed to when you hit certain mileage for your vehicle. And you can get it to run. I mean, there are certain cars that people have have over 200,000 miles on it, and yeah. it still runs fine because they take a really, really good care of it. Um, but a lot of us don't do that. And yeah. That's part of why cars break down, and that's why our bodies break down. Um, is we're not doing the things that we should or or supposed to be. And even we know we're supposed to do those things and we still don't. (laughs) Yeah. I like to compare uh, being a doctor to being a mechanic. It's interesting that you mentioned cars because I say, um, you know, the reason that a doctor can treat your flu is because he's treated 8,000 other flu cases the same way I'm going to take my transmission to a transmission specialist because I'm not, you got to have a dust free environment. You have to have done it, you know, a thousand times to do it well. Um, But I wouldn't take 
my truck to a transmission specialist to rebuild the engine. Uh, so it, it, it's the repetition, right? And yeah. the doctors are getting it with the elderly and, and with the broken stuff, but they don't, that doesn't mean that, that that doctor is just the doctor to see for everything because he Absolutely. treats poorly. He's just a person, right? He's just a person that's done it over and over and over and over again. He's done some studying and it's just repetition. And if it's not something that they're doing, like they're doing the flu or, or the COVID or whatever, then <coughs> yeah, see somebody else that, that has done it a thousand times. Yeah, no, I agree. Cause that's what I tell people too, is if you want the best TV or, or stereo surround system, you're not going to go to Walmart to buy it. Yeah. You can get a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's if you really want that movie theater experience, you go to a place and you speak with a specialist. That That's what they do. And they set your home up for something like that. Yep. <clears throat> so the same it should be with healthcare and certain things. If you're generally sick, go to your GP. You know, it's basic. But if it becomes more complex, you might need to see a specialist. And it should be that way with hormones and a lot of different things because, again, your GP is not specializing in your overall health. Um, they're just, again, it's general general physician practice. Yeah, It's just a little bit of everything. It's not a specialized in one thing. That's why a brain surgeon doctor is going to make way more money than your GP. Yeah. So, you know, um, and, and that's what I, I tell people is, yes, there's great doctors, but if you – and this is something my father taught me when I was young, is whatever you get into, become a specialist in it. Mm-hmm. Because a specialist is going to be a limited amount of people. And um, that is going to set you up for a better career because it's limited people. You're going to make more money at it. And that you just focus on one thing rather than a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and look at you now. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I love what I do. Um, you know, I, I've... Uh, I even tell people often, if I didn't have, you know, bills paid, I would still do it for free. Yeah. Do you see new things every day still, or is it oh, is it pretty, yeah? Yeah, yeah. well, because every single person is different, so every single case is different. And yeah. sometimes you come across things that are surprising. You don't have an explanation for it um, or a, a how and a why. Um, someone else probably will. Yeah. You know, um, because I, I, I do know a lot. I know a little bit of a, a lot of things, but I know the most on health, nutrition, hormones, but I'm not going to consider myself one of the best out there, you know. Um, I do. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, but I, I know that I still have other things to learn and room to grow. But that's what makes you one of the best out there <laughs> is, is knowing that setting that pride aside and knowing that you still have stuff to learn and, You'll probably even listen to a patient. There's a chance that a patient could say something that could spark something in you, and you might learn something from them, you know? And I think that's a that big deterrent. Like, a lot of doctors don't do that. Yeah. A, a lot of doctors, they want to talk more than listen. And for me, it's kind of the opposite, unless someone wants to hear me listen, wants to listen to me. But otherwise, um, my thing is uh, trying to hear the person out what's going on with them because whatever, no matter what it is regarding their health um, and, and hormones, they're different than the person I just spoke to and they're going to be different than the next person I speak to. Their situation is going to be different. Their home life is going to be different. Their job is going to be different. So um, everything, 
any symptoms that they have is very specific to them. And so I have to know all that kind of stuff on how to best treat them for their body, their situation, yeah. and, and their lifestyle. Um, and so if, if, a, if a, a provider is not going to sit down and listen to the patient, uh, then um, they're really missing out on how to properly help that person. Because um, I, I get that a lot. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll be on the phone with someone and they'll tell me that the, the, I gave them the most information they've ever gotten from anybody before. Yeah. Um, and part of it is listening. And then that way I can explain how and why they have some certain symptoms. Um, and then uh, as far as some doctors just say, yeah, well, everything in your blood work looks fine. Here's some antidepressants. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it doesn't make sense, you know. But then sometimes people will have questions about their blood work and they don't get an answer. Um, so, but uh, again, everybody being very different should be treated a little bit differently and spoken to a little bit differently and heard differently. I have never received uh, the same, what you're saying, I have not gotten as much information as I have being on the phone with Ken doing our consults. People, doctors don't do it that way. Um, when, when I go to the doctor, brick and mortar, uh, regardless of what it's for, I don't see my blood work unless I go and seek it out. And even then, what you get from them is, yeah, such and such is fine. You know, that's not the problem. Let's go into that. <laughs> yeah. But what, what, what you guys are doing is you're going line by line and you're talking about CBCs and CMPs and then you're going and, and you can explain to the patient, I guess if they want to know, how all of that ties into hormones. When I first started treating with TRT, I went to a local clinic where, you know, one of the ones where you had to actually go in to have the injection done. Went in for my first appointment. They drew blood. They went and spun it up in the back. They came back and they said, you're low. We can inject you right now. I said, okay, let's do it. They injected me in the glute. On my way until the next Friday, came in. Had, you know, I've got little female nurses bouncing around. Okay, drop your pants. Okay, boom, gone. But <clears throat> nobody ever explained, not one time, did they explain wow. anything about anything. Uh, I would push back and say, you know, is this enough? I don't feel any different. I did that for, I don't know, eight weeks maybe, and I just felt like they were kind of dragging it out and low-dosing me along. And I graduated from that to a primary care that um, it's, it's not their specialty, but they do more than, than most doctors. So they were pretty good. They weren't – I used them for a number of years. They weren't good enough to, like, fine-tune me but they were better than average, I guess, with hormones. Yeah. But still never got, we never talked about labs and numbers and all this. It was just, yeah, here's what you need to do. Yeah, and, well, um, a lot of your brick and mortars, um, I think they overbook on purpose. Um, you know, I worked in a hospital before. Um, after I graduated college, one of my first jobs was working in a hospital. Um so I was really excited about trying to get into what I learned in school yeah. <laughs> um, and, and heading in that direction. But uh, um, but I, I after a few years, I got out of it because of the hospital politics I saw, you know, just went against proper health care. You know, I don't even hear it from nurses all the time as well. But um, the, with your brick and mortars, there's an expectation a certain amount of people are going to cancel. Mm-hmm. They're not going to show up. So if you have insurance, or every time you go in, you're going to pay a copay, you know, some type of office visit, 
uh, out of pocket, uh, unless insurance is coming in the 100% of it. But then either way, every office visit, the doctor is getting paid for that. Um, and that's his time. So if you cancel or don't show up to your appointment, then that's money lost because it could have been used for someone else. So I think that they book people back-to-back on purpose with expectations some people are not going to show up, and that's why doctors are always late. Yeah. Um, but then it also limits their time because, say, if there's, you know, a, a regular working day is 8 to 10 hours for most people. Yeah. And if you book 60, 80 people in one day to see, you're limited to how, many, how much time you can spend with each person, even if half of them show up. So I think that's what one of the things that um, can the owner really is big on is giving every single patient the time they need yeah. um, to speak. And that's why uh, all of our appointments, we only have so many appointment slots available each day. We purposely limit ourselves to give the extra attention to that person that they need. So that's why our appointments are up to 45 minutes long. The, the person may not need 45 minutes, um, but that's what's available. Yeah. You know, rather than literally five minutes, you know, done, you know, on to the next. Um, and I've spoken to other people that went to other clinics, and, yeah, they're, they're literally, you know, we're lucky to have two to three minutes on the phone with the doctor <laughs> yeah. and uh, then just moving on the next. So at the end of the day, well, yes, we're any business, one of the main things is uh, to make a profit, but um, I think it was Warren Buffett that was quoted as saying, if you always look in the best interest of the customer, you're going to make money. You're never going to go wrong. Yeah. And that's always been one thing that I've always been big on myself as well as I think that is why Ken and I get along so well is those morals and values we have is putting in the best interest for the patient and not looking at them as a dollar sign, not thinking about how much money we're going to make on them it's all about what is best for them because yeah. when you do what's best for the person, they feel like they're cared for and they're going to tell other people about the experience they have. Yep. And that's where we have such a, a high retention amount or also a lot of people come to us from other clinics because uh, they keep hearing about the kind of care that Matrix gives. It's not about the protocols it's not about the testosterone it's the care yeah <laughs> that is discussed yep you know? and so because we're very passionate about what we do um so that's what i look <clears throat> at it at the end of the day it's not about the money how much money we can make that's why i say if i didn't have to pay any bills or whatnot i would still do it for free if i yeah. won the lottery i would still be here every day even though i don't need to be because i want to help people and in doing so, it's going to create a legacy, right? And helping others. So, yeah, and, and that passion is important. It's w- exactly what you're saying. Are all of the reasons that I have hitched my wagon to Matrix over the last four years? And you know, when you mention not every appointment takes 45 minutes, it's not like y'all are twiddling your thumbs if you have some extra time. I know AJ has been known to call random patients and just check in on them whenever he's got extra time. It's stuff like that that makes the difference. You know, hey, it's been a couple of weeks. How you doing? How's it going? Uh, you need anything? That kind of thing. And you, I got an email earlier this morning with a question from a patient and was able to text you and get an answer to respond back to him within five minutes of getting the email. You know, I, I don't think that those types of things happen everywhere. 
Yeah, and, um, you know, that's something that's important to me is a sense of urgency yeah. um, for every patient. Um, so I, I will always make time for what is in the best interest of our clients and patients. Yeah. Um, so no matter what's going on or how busy I am, you know, if I get a text message while I'm discussing, uh, you know, I'm with someone, depending on the complexity of the text message, I can respond back while I'm, you know, talking with someone at an appointment. Or if it's going to get more in-depth and i got to really think about the answer, then I'm going to hold off so I can give the proper information. Yeah. Because I'm going to distract with someone else right now with my focus. But otherwise, yeah, I try to, you know, whatever messages come through our portal system, email messages, Facebook messages, whatever it is that's coming through, I try to respond in a very timely manner and as quickly as possible because I want that person to know that we actually care. Yeah. Uh, the question this morning was about tinnitus and exacerbating, you know, exacerbated by TRT. You said a couple of patients. Do you think that that's likely, that that's what's happening? I really don't know what the correlation would be um, other than the possibility of maybe relating to blood flow or, or blood pressure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure. Yeah, they'd need more more numbers to, to be able to see if their you know, blood pressure has increased, something like that. Yeah, and the whole mechanism of tinnitus, you know, it's, it's, I mean, yes, tinnitus itself can be from, you know, exposure to loud noise over a long period of time, but otherwise it's not widely known or understood um, overall anyway. Yeah, so Random triggers and stuff yeah, like that. So it's not my area of expertise, so I can't really give an, a proper explanation if there is a correlation between testosterone and tinnitus. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, make something up. Uh, or BS anybody about it is something that I really don't know anything about to give a, a right answer about. Gotcha. So we're brushing up against an hour, and you've got patients to see, so I want to get to some of these questions. Um, I'm going to skip some of them. i, I got to ask this one. So I have heard you mention something about mitochondria, and you, you referenced it earlier, um, the role of mitochondria in anti-aging. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Do you remember the, the reference that you made? Someone said to you, I feel like I've hit a wall. I've just kind of gotten to that age to where, you know, aging is a thing. It's going to happen. And you rattled off this amazing response about mitochondria's functioning and then this and that and a supplement that they could take. What, talk to me about that. So um, in basic anatomy, physiology, or biology, in school we grew up understanding that the mitochondria the powerhouse of the cells in the generate energy um, and it's really the mitochondria that are converting um, calories into energy helping break down carbohydrate glucose into um, the most basic forms of uh, ATP you know to, without getting too complex and ATP is your energy currency you don't store it you know you only have about 30 seconds worth at a time your body has to continually make it um, as we get older, everything slows down. We have less hormones and so forth. Hormones are uh, messengers or signals to tell cells what to do. So if we get less of that signal, then the cells begin to kind of slow down. And um, mitochondria are organelles. And um, the mitochondria are kind of in charge of energy production for the cell, detoxification of the cell, uh, producing antioxidants for the cells. So mitochondria are extremely important to overall cell health. Um, 
So they play a major role in that. And there's lots of lifestyle habits that people can do to enhance mitochondrial function, as well as supplements. Um, one of the most uh, popular supplement out there is NMN. Um, and, yep, that's uh, what you said. I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So without going into long names, I mean, I can sound cool and scientific, but I won't, won't get into it. Um, but otherwise, David Sinclair, people can look him up and research that he is a leading researcher in NMN and anti-aging. Um, and basically through mostly animal models and research showing that NMN and some other supplements uh, can actually trigger, uh, well, number one, they enhance mitochondrial function, making the mitochondria work more efficiently and effectively at their job. And then also these um, supplements may... Uh, turn on genes within the cells that also improve the health and integrity of the cell and in a way slow down the aging process of the cell. And those are called sirtuins. There's uh, seven different ones, and there's different supplements that may stimulate certain ones. Um, and uh, But again, most of the research is done on smaller animal models, worms, mice, rats, and so forth. Haven't been, you know, any major studies or big studies done with larger species as of yet, um, but those are coming. You know, David Sinclair is leading the research on that in humans, um, and uh, there's other supplements. Um, NR um, is a precursor to NMN, and um, uh, niacinamide can also help with that. So um, it's a, a, in the B vitamin family, B3, I think, in particular. And anyway. Basically, all of the diseases that we know of that we get typically as we age are related in some way to cells or mitochondrial function becoming less efficient. And they call it mitochondrial dysfunction or cellular dysfunction. Um, And uh, so, uh, again, depending on lifestyle um, habits, what you eat, in uh, supplementation or your overall health determine that. Some of it is genetic. Um, but um, enhancing that is really where the direction of the anti-aging community is going. We used to be big on um, antioxidants. And some research is showing that antioxidants may not necessarily, while it can make us healthy, may not necessarily include, uh, extend longevity. Mm. So these are a little bit different when they work at the genetic level in helping support cell health and growth and development and uh, keeping cells healthy. Um, and uh, insulin resistance, which becomes diabetes, um, is, is uh, well known for mitochondrial functioning. And as far as supplements that people can do to take to enhance that um, is uh, well, actually reducing um, sugar consumption is one. Um, there's a lot of research into this too. Um, I can't remember that there's different specialists in, in these different things, but um, table sugar is made up of glucose and fructose, whether it's organic sources like coming from cane sugar, organic cane sugar syrup or rice syrup, solids, whatever, um, or, or, or um, you know, being made synthetically. It's the fructose portion of it reduces mitochondrial function. So your body has to split it up in the smallest you know, amounts. What's interesting is research has shown that glucose itself, pure glucose, can actually enhance mitochondrial function. Mm. Fructose reduces it. So some of the early studies done on diabetes showed that they actually improved uh, blood sugar diabetes by giving them glucose. <laughs> wow. 
Um, but the exact opposite happens with fructose, and that's why high fructose corn syrup is, can become so uh, unhealthy um, for different, a lot of different reasons, but that happens to be one regarding cellular aging. Um, and uh, so by reducing sugar consumption, um, coconut oil is high in MCT oil, MCT oil specifically C10, so there's different uh, fractions of um, MCTs that are found in coconut oil. And um, all of them can help with mitochondrial function, enhancing it. That's why coconut oil or MCT oil is known to help improve fat burning because it improves the mitochondria's ability to use fat as a source of energy. Wow. And so, but C10, like I said, you can buy it in supplements. You can buy them separately. C8 is probably the most popular one um, because it doesn't cause any digestive upset. So uh, 8, 10, 12, it refers to the amount of carbon atoms that are attached to it. Um, the longer the carbon chain, the harder it is or longer it takes to digest it. So C8 is more for immediate energy. C10 can help with that, uh, um, with uh, mitochondrial enhancement. just takes a little bit longer to digest. C12 is a little bit harder to digest, may cause some gastric upset um, in some people. So, But uh, either way... That's why MCT powder is so popular um, and in um, Bulletproof Coffee. So adding like oh, butter or ghee yeah. and then MCT oil in coffee. Huh. So because MCT in particular and then um, ghee contains a compound that actually helps suspend the oil in the uh, water-based solution. So it mixes easier because typically water and oil don't mix yeah so um so it kind of makes a smoother connection or mixture uh together but uh, but mct oil itself uh gives literally helps us with energy production um nmn is going to help with that and um, there's lots of other things that people can do to, to enhance that um vitamin c vitamin e alpha lipoic acid to name some other supplements that can help improve mitochondrial function uh, a lot of them are also known to help with glucose tolerance or improve insulin resistance because of that. You can't tell it because I'm keeping my professional TikTok face going, but I'm so excited to finally get that answer from you. I've mentioned it <clears throat> since I, I heard the conversation. I've mentioned it like a dozen times. Like God, I got to hear Sean explain this. Um, I had a couple more questions, but so we're here in person for the first time ever. I want to respect your time, but we just kind of flowed with, with all the personal stuff and the things leading up to that one podcast question that I was able to answer. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to end it there before the other half of the audience uh, brains explode like the first half just did. But I, I appreciate you being here with me though. Yeah, no problem. And uh, maybe one of these days in the future, it can do a little bit uh, deeper into uh, yeah. anti-aging and stuff. Cause I'm, I'm getting big into that. You know, I just turned 45 recently. So, um, you know, my health has always been important um, and, uh, and fitness and so forth. But uh, uh, getting older, um, becoming, you know, more into that because I noticed myself slowing down a little bit and trying to uh, beat uh, father time. <laughs> and I'm guessing that this is going to be one of the more popular episodes. I think there's something to do in this in person. Might have to fly out here once a week just to do <laughs> a podcast. Thank you for listening to the TRT Community Podcast. You can find us online at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TRT Community.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.